Welcome to this episode of Bob Cooney's VR Deep Dive Podcast. In this series, Bob connects you with some of the leading innovators and thinkers in location-based VR. Good morning, everybody. I'm here with my new old friend, <laughs> David Georgeson. <laughs> How are you doing, David? Welcome on the Deep Dive. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So um, we were just wrapping while we were waiting for five o'clock Melbourne time to come around about a bunch of stuff that we have a lot of common interest in and common background on. So maybe we'll get into some, we'll go back in time and uh, do a little back to the future game and talk about some projects we both worked on back in the 90s that neither of us really knew that the other was involved in before we connected around the webinar. So David's with uh, Cleanbox, and you are the CTO, is that correct? Correct. Okay, cool. And so is that your invention sitting there behind you? Would you consider that your invention? Yeah, it was a few years ago. Yeah. I, I built it out of nothing. <laughs> so tell everybody what it is, and how'd you come up with the idea? Yeah, no, fair enough. The Cleanbox is a device that disinfects and dries VR and AR headsets, between users at, at basically at venues most of the time, museums, amusement parks, any medical professionals, anywhere where they're using the same headset for many, many people. We came up with a way of making sure that it was safe. So it uses uh, ultraviolet grade C uh, medical grade UV lights to uh, corrupt the DNA, bacteria, viruses, and fungi that are on the, on the headset which is really cool. So when it corrupts yeah. the DNA, it does it in just this perfect little sweet spot so they can't replicate. And if they can't replicate, they're not a danger to anybody. So it works really well and it's been being used in the hospitals for decades, but we were able to utilize some of the newer technology with the LEDs and that works really well. And then the other thing that we do is we make sure to get rid of all the stuff that nobody wants to talk about, like sweat and sneezes and body oils and all those really cool things by using a nanotech uh, coating on the visor itself so that like uh, your visor is completely coated. And when this is all these surfaces are treated, then moisture won't soak into the materials at all. The analogy that I use a lot is like when you wax your car, you can see a hemisphere of liquid that sits right on top. When something is hydrophobic, yeah. or super hydrophobic, it doesn't even get that attached to the surface. It sits like a perfect sphere right on top of the material. And then we can use a directed air system. We have a high velocity fan system inside here that just blasts it right off the top of the materials. So even though the material technically never got wet because the sweat and everything like was sitting right on top of it, you still don't want to put that on your face and the directed air just knocked yeah. it right off. And in 60 seconds, it's dry and clean every single time. Wow. So the first thing that struck me is the word sterile and sterilization the reason that they use that term is because it actually neuters or spays the things that you don't want crawling on your face. And that's well, disgusting. Kind of, I mean, we don't use sterilization as a term because uh, sterile <laughs> is a very specific medical terminology that means 100% clean. And what we do is we uh, give okay. it 99.9% or for people that are like medical professionals that want to that need a, a higher, what they call a, a higher log kill, uh, logarithmic, yeah. so that it, it, they want 99.999 or something like that as a percentage, you can run a, a longer cleaning cycle and get to those levels. And so how important that hydrophobic chemical thing that you're doing, and sorry for my lack of terminology, I'm feeling a bit 
moronic right now and the uv like does one work without the other or is it the combination of those two things that makes it magic yeah no that's a good question it's just when i invented it i basically put it together because we needed to be able to solve multiple problems in the same cycle so the uv light kills bugs it eliminates bacteria and viruses and fungi but it does nothing to get rid of the sweat and body oils and things like that so the nanotech and the directed air system is what takes care of that part of it. So for venues, typically, you don't want to be in line behind sweaty fat guy. (laughs) Right, right, right. Uh, Because you don't want to put his clammy cold sweat on your face. And so we needed to make sure that that was taken care of in addition to making sure that users and guests were safe from any contagions that were left behind. And to be honest, to make sure that venue operators were safe from somebody getting really annoyed and, and being nasty legally. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things I talk about a lot is um, hygiene theater. And I think that might even be a coin, a term that I coined after what I call security theater in the airports with TSA, right? So right. they make this big deal about going through x-ray machines and backscatters and all of this shit and emptying your when, you know, but if you look behind the scenes at the statistics, the amount of shit that gets through security in the airport is absurd. And my own experience as a frequent traveler is sometimes things set alarms and sometimes they don't, and they're the same things. And so if they're scary to some people and they're not to other people working behind the x-ray counter, you have to wonder about the efficacy of security in airports. That's not what we're here to talk about, but they make a big show of it to make people feel safe. And one of the things I talk to operators about is to make sure that they create hygiene theater. Efficacy is one thing, but making a big show of the fact that you're making an effort is actually, I think, the most important thing. And in the early days of zero latency, you know, I would recommend to operators, they put a big sign up on the wall that said cleaning station, right? So when people came in, they saw that, you know, because in case you didn't see the person rubbing the mask with the wipe and the chemical, you at least see a big sign there that says, oh, this is something they're thinking about. And so what I love about the clean box is that, you know, it's hygiene theater to the nth degree, and it's actually cool looking too, right? So where's it being used? Where's it being used effectively? And how's it getting out in the world? Because it seems like a really unique and a little weird approach to a problem that most people just take Clorox wipes to, which we'll talk about maybe about how horrible that is. How's yeah, traction going and how they getting out there? Okay, fair enough. We started out with a a limited run of production so that uh, we could field test a bunch of different units, which is what we were calling generation uh, A of the units. And we got lots of feedback from customers and we basically fixed all those issues before we got to Gen B, which is these ones that are are available now. We are in uh, the medical industry. We're partnered with some really big players like uh, I think RealMax is working with us now to make sure that the headsets that they put out are already clean box ready. We have been working with uh, some of the big players in the industry. I can't remember for sure whether I was supposed to talk about this, but I think she's okay with it. Uh, (laughs) We've been uh, working with uh, Periscape and uh, and some other folks, as well as um, getting it into installations that are already out there. Like, I don't know if you've heard of the Black Box VR gym up in San Francisco. I have. And yeah, I'd love if you're familiar with that, we're going to talk about that too, because I think that's a crazy idea. Yeah, they totally gamified the idea of exercise. And then because people were going to be so sweaty and, and foul after they uh, ran treadmill for so long, they had to have something to clean it. So they came to us and, and talked about it because when we were putting this together, uh, Amy and I originally were talking to the Smithsonian about building a venue up there. 
And we realized that if we had a million people going through our venue every year, eventually we were going to get our butt sued off when, you know, uh, Susie got the measles or, you know, Freddie got the uh, the mumps, you know, that kind of stuff. And so we wanted to make sure that we had something that would actually clean it. And when I did a bunch of studying on the wipes, I started realizing they're better than nothing, but only just barely because they only kill what's on the surface. And honestly, I guess the thing that really drove me negative on the whole idea was besides the waste and the smell and all that other stuff was the fact that alcohol does kill germs, but only if the surface is wet for a minute or more. And Mm. nobody's doing that. I mean, you can ask any hospital. It takes a minute or more for the surface of material to be cleaned by alcohol. So you have to keep it wet. And nobody's doing that. Nobody's putting that much moisture on these things for obvious reasons. You don't want this to be soaked when you give it to the next customer. So there had to be something else. And that's when I started studying and researching to find out about ultraviolet light, which is like I said, been used by the medical industry for a really long time. But these LEDs that we use inside here have only been available for a few years. Well, they've been available longer than that, but really only like commercially available and easy to get yeah. for a few years. So putting those together with, I just happened to run in a, into a guy that was doing a demo of this nanotech application that he was using. And I realized that if we took those two together and we added directed air, then we had something that was fundamentally better than what was being available right now. And it was easy to put together. And the first one I built was basically to protect our own butts. That's what the the device was for, was so that we could say, you're doing better than everybody else. And then when we showed it to other people, they were like, and maybe we want that too. And then that kept rolling and all of a sudden we had a company. Yeah. Interesting. Look, people, like if they had, like you certainly, Studies come out all the time. Recently, one came out from the McDonald's self-serve order screens and that 100% of the ones that they tested had fecal matter on them. (laughs) And so like, you know, like we fucking, we live in a world of germs. They're everywhere. We're touching them all the time. Like we touch the doorknob and then we touch our face. Like Jesus Christ, like it's out there. Like, so from a legal liability standpoint, Like, I'm going to call a little bit of bullshit on this one, right? I'll give you a true story, right? So LaserStorm, my first real company. In the laser tag business, I got sued once by a woman whose son played in our laser tag game. He was probably 10 or 12 years old and wound up with an eye infection. And she was convinced that it was because he got shot with a laser in his eye. And the first thing is we don't use lasers. We use high-powered LEDs at the time, the very first instance of the ultra-brights. And second is if I could transmit, like, virus or bacteria over light, I would be selling that to the military (laughs) and making billions of dollars. But it didn't stop her from fucking suing me and for me having to engage my insurance company and da-da-da-da-da. So, like, none of this stuff stops people from suing you, first of all, right? And D is, like, there's just germs everywhere. And so... You know, again, I do think, look, the ooh factor is massive. Like I've watched the ooh, the gross factor of putting a wet, smelly headset on. I think that's actually the number one thing. And number two is like having this consistent operational procedure with a cool looking device that shows that you care about the safety, security and comfort of your guests is actually to me, if I were doing your marketing and positioning, and I understand a lot of yours is around that yeah, that safety factor, which is important, but I actually think there's a bigger factor. I want to show my guests that I actually care, and I'm going to go the extra mile to make sure that they have a great experience, 
And I think that your thing does that in a really cool way. And I'm hoping to see it get out in the world in a massive uh, push. And uh, hopefully this is a, a little bit of help in that area. No, I appreciate that. And on that subject, I mean, this is how you get sick. <laughs> Rubbing your eyes. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So your nose. Making right. sure that this area is relatively safe is a good thing, right? That's yeah. a solid good thing. And making sure that you're not running a risk in that area. Because I guess the joke that we say all the time is you can Purell your hands, but you can't Purell your face. So it, it might, <laughs> it's nice for that to be clean. But going on your idea of the PR value, when the fan turns on, this might get a little bit loud. So I'm not sure how that will affect the microphone. But we do have see. some of that. I mean, these obviously ultraviolet lights are invisible. So you can't see that. So we have some ambient lights and stuff in there to let people know that, it, hey, look, mommy, it's actually getting clean, that kind of stuff, what you were talking about. And that's purely theater. But the blue lights that you're seeing in the center there, that's actually the extra radiation. Uh, I don't want to use the word radiation, but because all, all light is radiation, so that's why I used it. But it's the wavelengths that are slightly off of ultraviolet, and that's the blue that you're seeing. Got it. The actual ultraviolet is invisible. So everything you're seeing in here and how it gradually, uh, over the course of time, it goes from purple to blue is just to show people that it's actually doing something. But in 60 seconds, that's what it's for. And the reason why we have an acrylic enclosure is exactly what you're saying, is so that when a venue puts this into a, into a place, people can look at it and say, look, they're actually doing something that's better than wipe, wipe hands. And so what's it cost? Like if, if an arcade wanted to put this in, you know, a bunch of these or one in every booth or, you know, whatever it would take, what's it cost? Well, it's it's a, obviously a business to business product. So it's around yeah. uh, the CX-1 here is $1,100. And the, the other units that we're building and available this summer are, um, well, they're higher priced because they do more units at a time. I don't know whether yeah. uh, Amy has talked to you about the CX-6. Our nomenclature is really easy to understand. CX-1 does one unit at a time. CX-6 does six. <laughs> but it's a, it's a drawer design. You pull it out and you put all the headsets in it and you close the drawer and then push the button. And there's a, I lost track of what the question was now. Yeah, we're talking about price. And so I think it's about a thousand bucks a headset, right? Is that about ballpark? Yeah, it's about, well, you can do lots of different headsets in one unit. Because normally, right, I mean, yeah, sorry, per cleaning unit, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. it's eleven hundred dollars for a unit, and uh, from everything we can tell, that's going to pay itself off in a month because you're paying that much for a guy to stand there and wipe units. Maybe he's doing some other stuff on the side, but eventually, like if you're doing roller coaster kind of enterprises, you have dedicated people that are just standing there wiping, and this is cheaper, and plus it's actually doing something, <laughs> which yeah. is useful. And I think, like you said the theater value of it is very high. Um, letting people realize yeah. they actually care what's happening to the visors that they're wearing and their health is a good thing. Yeah. And so if you were in an arcade and you were running an arcade with 10 Vive booths, let's say, you know, one of these probably is enough because people go in asynchronously, right? It's not like you have to do 10 headsets at once. And so if you have 10 people going through an hour and they're going in and out at different stages and you're getting them set up, it seems like, but then you have to, can you move it around or does it, like if the headsets are tethered, do you have to untether the headset? What's the mechanics of using this in an arcade for somebody? Yeah, it all depends upon the setup of the venue. Like for instance, if it's a multiplayer venue, 
and all the headsets are going to come out at the same time, then you would either need multiple uh, units or like a CX-6 or a CX-4 to be able to do a, yeah. a batch at a time so that you can keep your throughput going through. But like you said, yeah. it's... Um, if it's asynchronous, if there's a bunch of people coming in, like those original arcades that IMAX did, where there was a bunch of different yeah. uh, games that were going on, though people were coming off of those in, uh, different, yeah, you can keep using this uh, the same unit. Our experience with menus is that you can throw the throw the unit, throw a headset in there, hit the button, turn around, explain to the next person what they're going to do and uh, what they're going to see, and by the time you're done with that, the headset's ready. So that yeah. works really well. I think that uh, it really just depends upon, oh, the tethered question. That was what I was trying to get to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so you may notice on the, it's probably hard to see because black on black, but on the base unit here, right here, this is a tether slot. Gotcha. So when you put a, a tethered unit in there, the cable goes in there and then the door closes over it nicely. Now, obviously, if you have a tethered visor, you're not going to move that around. Most of these tethered units, yeah. you don't want to unplug them and then move it somewhere else because when you plug it back in again, you have to recalibrate it and set it up. So nobody really wants to do that. But for uh, non-tethered units, this is brilliant because you can put these anywhere. You can walk them over to the spots. We have talked to people that have uh, multiple tethered consoles that are in a centralized area. And we've talked to them about putting the units on a cart that could then just be rolled over. Then they put the units in where the tethers can reach, take them out again, and then roll the cart to the side. I was just going to ask how much power it takes. Could you put like one of those, you know, a battery inverter or something on a cart and plug it in and run it all day off of a, you know, 1000 amp, you know, goal zero power supply or something like that? Yeah, you can, this doesn't take much power. It draws less than five amps and the, and the cycle is only 60 seconds. So you yeah. can run it off a battery unit like that for a long time. In fact, We've been talking about building just such a unit for, uh, well, I am going to get in trouble if I mention that. So <laughs> you, talk to, you should talk to, you know, Greg, I think it was Greg Agostini at Virtual Works did a cart recently for Oculus Goes and it had charging and everything built in. And it was beautiful. Like he did a, an amazing job of that. I don't know if you know those guys. No, that's but, cool. um, I haven't seen that. If you're tired of designing hardware. Yeah, those guys do some amazing work. So your background comes from like games right and that's you know so for everybody georgia goes way back into the days of actually arcade games was it where did you start like where'd your career start let's just go back there let's start from the beginning well uh, my professional uh, gaming career started um well i worked on the very first advanced dungeons and dragons computer games that were ever made that was the gold box games back at ssi fools of radiance series wow that was a long time ago um, <laughs> and way before then, one of my college jobs was actually running a, an 80s arcade. So that was rocking. Absolutely. Awesome. Uh, I can go so back. where was that? That was up in Oregon. When I started my game career, it was down in California. That's the end of part one of this interview. Please join us for parts two and three shortly.